safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatter calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. Oh Lord, what a story. The story of salvation. Will you unfold it before our eyes? Will you reveal in us both prodigal and self-righteous, that we might repent when your gospel is being proclaimed. Be the one leading my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love a good story. A story to be worthy to hear needs to be catchy, needs to have a good plot. But also, it needs a good narrator. If the story is interesting, but the person telling it does not tell you in an involving way, it is not going to catch your attention. And I think that Jesus is the master of storytelling. And we have before us an example by the way that he tells his story in such a colorful and vivid way. But the stories of Jesus are not only catchy, but they have a spiritual message. And this is what parables are. They're stories with a profound spiritual message. And today's parable tackles a wrong understanding about God. And we can be in churches for long, long years. We can know the Bible very well. And it's still be wrong about God. We have this default in ourselves to build a God according to our image. An idol. We might think of God as a harsh judge that helps only those who help themselves. But it's not the way that he reveals himself in the scriptures. If you want to know the God of the scriptures then you must leave aside your preconceptions and listen to his son. Because Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. John 1.8 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Our message today is found in the third story of chapter 15 of Luke. The story is better known as the parable of the prodigal son. But we'll call it this evening the parable of the compassionate father. And we're going to divide our message in two thoughts. First, compassion to the prodigal. And second, compassion to the self-righteous. But before I begin my first point, let me try to help you to understand the context. 
because I think it's going to be very helpful to us. Jesus, in this parable, he is revealing something about God. And I say something because we cannot find in this parable everything about God and everything about the gospel. This passage is an answer to a criticism. Look at verses 1 to 3. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were the religious people of the, the, the day. They were experts in the law. They were the orthodox. Nevertheless, they were very wrong in that they thought that God only helped those who help themselves. That God's grace is earned and that God does not approach vile sinners. They thought that Jesus' claim, we know it is a real claim, that Jesus is coming from God, was inconsistent with his association with sinners. They were dividing sinners in categories. Some there were too filthy. They had sinned in such a way that made them unsavable. And others, such as the Pharisees and the scribes, never committed sin of bad reputation, such as theft, such as murder, extortion, as did this class of sinners. They labeled as sinners and tax collectors. Hence, scribes and Pharisees were commendable to God's grace. Wow, sinners and tax collectors were outside of the reach of God's mercy. That's, that's their reasoning. And I believe it is a natural tendency to us to build a hierarchy of sinners in our minds, thinking that some are closer to heaven. They only need a divine push, while others are way too lost to be found. One of the problems with this is that it inevitably affects the understanding of our desperate need of God's grace. Luke 18, verses 11 and 12, there you find Jesus describing how a Pharisee sees himself better than others. The Pharisee prays like this, God, I thank you, this is a prayer, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. These Jewish leaders were outwardly righteous in comparison to others who in their eyes, and indeed they did, lived a whole lifestyle that was unfaithful to God's law. They would not, the Pharisees would not approach this class of people, and it bothered them. It was distasteful to them that Jesus 
welcome sinners. So you see in verse 3 that Jesus, that the narrative says, and he, that is Jesus, spoke this parable saying, meaning that these parables are really an answer of Jesus to their accusations. And Jesus wants to show that what was outrageous to the Pharisees is good news to notorious sinners. Christ welcomes sinners and eats with them not to partake of their sins, but to bring the dead to life so that the lost can be found. What was inconsistent in the view of the leadership of the Jews was perfectly consistent with Jesus' ministry because he came for the lost. In him, God approaches vile sinners. The three narratives that we see, we have three parables in, in this chapter. We have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and this parable we call the parable of the compassionate father. And they are all motivated by this accusation against Jesus. And they always speak of a celebration over something lost that is found. And how it causes joy to the founder. Meaning that there is joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. While the first two parables have things that are lost. The third story brings the message to a climax. It talks about human lostness, and that's Jesus' goal. He's talking about people. Sheep and coins, they describe well, precious things that are lost. But they do not speak much of the experience of lostness in human terms. And the third parable does that. And in doing so, it shows us that there are two ways to be lost. The prodigal is lost, but as we will see, the self-righteous is equally lost. And it is only the compassion of the Father that can change their status from lost to found. From dead to alive. And this is why we call it the parable of the compassionate father. The story begins with the prodigal. Compassion to the prodigal. It begins with his request. Father, give me the share of property that comes to me, that is coming to me. He wants to depart from his father. But he wants to take advantage from him. He, he wants his money. Inheritance. Normally, inheritance comes when parents die. Perhaps even in our Western society nowadays. Even more in such a conservative culture as the Jewish. But this man wants his money now. His father divides his property with his two sons. And not many days after, the prodigal goes 
to live life on his own terms. He follows his desires. He goes to a far country. He wants clearly to be free from any influence of his father. This is what people do when they want to live whatever kind of life they see fit without giving any account to parents, without giving any account to anybody. It's a very attractive idea. And as he arrives in this new country, all he cares about is enjoy life. That is all he does. He enjoys his life. He does not think of the future. He does not save. does not make any investment. The text says that he spends the money with riotous, extravagant, reckless living. But reality catches up with this man. His money ends. And on top of that, something out of his control happens. A great famine. And the great famine and his recklessness cause him to be in great need. And notice that his first attempt is to try to fix the situation on his own. But the more he tries, the lower he gets, the more entangled he finds himself. And the man, he comes, verse 15 says that he comes and joins himself to a citizen of that country. And the man sends him, gives him a job that no Jew would have wanted. To keep swine, pigs. You remember that the Old Testament regarded pigs as unclean animals. Imagine how that would have sounded to the Pharisees, who highly regarded the ceremonial law. The prodigal indeed has hit the bottom of the pit. He has descended so low as to put himself together with the swine, with the pigs. He's not only looking after them, but he's so hungry that he wants to fill his belly with the food that the unclean animals eat. The pigs are better off. They have enough to eat, and besides, they are eating what is proper for them to eat. This is the situation of this man. I believe that in that moment, the faraway land, far from restraint, showed no longer any attraction because he is in need, perishing with hunger, and no one gives him anything. And what is Jesus doing here? He's portraying before us a notorious sinner, one that in the opinion of the self-righteous is unsavable. Perhaps in his own opinion, he is unsavable. A man who has followed his natural heart, he has run from any influence of God, 
from God's perspective, this man is lost. He's dead. He's dead. And here is the first way that this parable teaches us what it means to be lost experientially. It is to be away from God. In your own eyes, you, just as the prodigal, may think that living a life on your own terms, you have found happiness, freedom. But in the sight of God, you are lost. And you know, as we see in this text, ultimately, it is the perspective of God that proves correct. It is God's perspective. If you are away from him, you are dead. You think you have got freedom only to find out that you have put yourself under the yoke of a cruel master. Because sooner or later, you will find out that soon that sin is a cruel master. Sin is a cruel master. By rejecting God, you are subjecting yourself to sin and its consequences. And no matter how much you try to fix yourself, the more you try, the more entangled you get in your sins. But in this story, the prodigal comes to his senses. He remembers that his father is generous. The man that he saw as not generous at all. At all. Now, he sees him as generous. In his father's house, even the servants have bread to spare. So he decides to go back, confess his folly, and ask to be treated as a servant. And he comes up with this speech. Interesting speech. Includes no excuses, no claims to any right. Only an appeal to his father's mercy. He is entirely dependent on that mercy. One commentator said that here we have a picture of true repentance. No claims. Only reliance on mercy. Will there be a place of repentance for such a man? Does God welcome a chief of sinners? We will see here how Jesus portrays the attitude of the Father towards repentant sinners. This happened before the prodigal said a word. Listen closely, please. Because compassion sets the tone in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father welcomes the prodigal with compassion. That is, he's moved in his inner parts to sympathize with his situation. But that is not all. After the son utters 
part of his confession. The father surprises him with generosity. This man is not being treated according to his actions. He's not treated, being treated as a servant either. He's given the best robe and a ring. Do you see? The best for the worst. The best for the worst. In verse 23, it speaks of a celebration, an animal that was kept for a special occasion. is killed for the party. Verse 24, the father addresses him as my son. He's being restored to the family. Still in verse 24, we see the explanation for the celebration. The dead has come to life and the lost has been found. The lost has been found. What does Jesus mean by this parable? Well, he wants to teach people something about God. Something that the Pharisees missed. Something that many people don't get. God welcomes repentant sinners with great joy. We see this in the three parables. Jesus wants to drive this home. There is joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. And what does it mean for you? We don't have to twist God's arm to receive repentant sinners. It is something that brings him joy. It is, it is his character. It is his character. There is in this parable a picture of a vile sinner. One that lived a life of open rebellion. A life of shame. Indeed, the chief of sinners. And if it describes you, then you must know that there is forgiveness for you. God says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. And live. This parable is the words of the one who came down from heaven, from the Father, the one who makes this welcome possible, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the words of B.B. Warfield, one on less assurance than that of Jesus Christ himself. The thing was perhaps incredible, but on that assurance, shall we not take its comfort to our hearts? Do not despise. Do not despise this grace. But perhaps you look at this passage and, and say, I, I never left church. I spent my entire life in the church. I read my Bible every day. I, I didn't never do something shameful. I am quite a good person. Well, there is more to this parable because there is a second son. And here is our second point. The compassion to the self-righteous. This is the older son. He's coming from the fields. He was working. According to himself, 
And his description in verse 29, working hard, the expression in the original uh, is the same word that we use for slaves. He was enslaving himself, according to him, to his father. And as he arrives, he is surprised by this unexpected celebration. He calls a servant, asks what's going on, and the servant tells him, your brother is back. Your father is celebrating. And he has killed the fatted calf. But if you think that he would be happy to receive his brother, he's angry. He reveals his heart now. He's angry with his brother. And above all, he's angry with his father. He's angry with his father. The elder son argues for his self-righteousness and merits. He comes to his father and complains. I have served you all these years. And you have never given me a goal. I have never crossed one of your commandments. I am the ideal son. I deserve better treatment. You are an unfair father. He didn't know his father. Verse 31 says, Son, all that is yours is mine. He failed to see that. Because he doesn't know his father's character. That's why he has never, never enjoyed that. And that is what self-righteousness does to us. It, it makes us spiritually proud. It makes us to feel better in relation to others. Because we've been in church for such long years. We live such an outward, nice moral life that we think we have no reason to repent. And we forget the concept of grace that we learned so early, as early as we have heard of Reformed faith. And make no mistake, the Pharisees heard about grace, God's grace. They were well acquainted with the history of Jacob. They knew very well the book of Jonah and the mercies of God to the Nineveh. But in practice, they rejected that. And this is the second way that the text teaches us to be lost is to be in a church but to be self-righteous. That is the second way to be lost. You can be zealous. You can know the Bible very well but you can forget the concept of grace, of sin and grace. And this is the misunderstanding that Jesus is addressing. 
that before God, we are all leveled up. We are sinners, needy of the same grace of God, the same grace. But fortunately, God offers the same grace that he offers to the prodigal. He offers to the self-righteous. And this is, pictures, this is pictured also in this parable. Look at the way that the father treats the eldest son. He comes out, and his words are filled with compassion toward this angry man. He entreats him. In the original, we have an imperfect aspect for this verb. And that means that the father made not only one attempt to convince him, but he insisted with his son that he joined the celebration. He insisted with him. And wow, the older son was angry and complaining, accusing his father. His father calls him son. In other version, child. You see, he's showing compassion. He's showing compassion and inviting the self-righteous to join the celebration. Interesting enough, it was not as difficult for the prodigal to see his unworthiness. That was as clear as day. But self-righteousness is easy to hide in our hearts. And it's more difficult for us to admit that and to repent. It is interesting the way that the self-righteous in the parable could not see his own fault. So much so that his response to this invitation is left undefined. We don't know if he entered the party, if he joined the celebration. And I think that is for a reason, that is for a purpose, because it calls us to self-examination. And perhaps we are to answer this question ourselves. If we are going to repent, if we are going to come, admit our unworthiness and total dependence on God's grace. As sinners, we are naturally wrong about God and naturally wrong about ourselves. God's love for sinners is not based on our character, but on his character. He is a God who rejoices in salvation. God does not love us because of who we are, but in spite of it. Whether we are prodigals or self-righteous, we are dependent on sheer grace. In the words of Warfield again, we are sinners. And our only hope is one who loves sinners and has come into the world to save sinners, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you consider for a moment just God's character, it is a reason. We have a spare reason to worship him and to thank him. Think of that. If God was not who he is, if he was not compassionate, if he was not merciful, how could you and I ever be saved? I think it should stir, stir us up to be grateful and to worship our merciful God. I would like to end this message with this note. You might be a Christian conscious that you have been saved by grace. And you know your continued dependence on grace. But you don't think much and you don't do much to reach out to the outcast. You are only waiting for God's wrath to come upon them. To destroy them. And that keeps you in your comfort zone. You don't do much. But think about this. Your Savior reached out to you when you were far from God. Jesus left his glory and came for the lost. Once you let this motivate you to do the same, to step out of your comfort zone and reach out to share the gospel with those who are still lost. Let us pray. Lord God, you are the one who reads the heart of man. You know what is there. In this parable, you can describe the hearts of all of us in your perfect way. Oh Lord, reveal in us any hidden sin, any self-righteousness, oh Lord. And help us to go back to the first love when we, we have that feeling, that sense of grace, that understanding of grace clear in our minds and do not fall into this mode of self-righteousness. And help us to reach out to, to others who are still lost because you are God who rejoices in salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to proceed our worship by singing hymn 499, Rock of Ages, 499.